Hey there, GPSers, and welcome back to another edition of the GPS Podcast, where all of your podcast dreams come true. I hope that you are doing well today, whenever and wherever you find yourself. We are currently journeying through a series that we're calling The Characters of Easter, and we started this series last week, and if you want to kind of get a deep dive into where we're going to be heading for the next several weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode. But a very quick summary of what we talked about last week is we are looking at different men and women who experienced the resurrection of Jesus in those very first moments right after it happened. We're looking at these different men and women who, up to this point in history, nothing like this had ever happened. And all of a sudden, they are experiencing Jesus being raised from the dead for the first time, and they are the first followers who are now trying to make sense of what this resurrection means for their lives. We read the story of Jesus' resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we have 2,000 plus years of time to reflect upon our history and our tradition and this long testimony of witnesses. But for those very first witnesses of the resurrection, they have this unique perspective and this unique angle on these events as they took place. And I think they have some unique perspectives to offer to us today in the 21st century as we try to figure out what it means to be resurrection people. Or, to steal a quote from one of my favorite authors, to be people who practice resurrection. That resurrection is not just something that we believe, but it's also something that we live. It's not just some kind of argument that we make, but it is this kind of way of life that we're called to live. One of the things about this core conviction that we carry as believers is, yes, it is a conviction, it is a belief, it is this foundational claim that we make, but it's also this way of life. It's also this path that we're trying to move down. And one of the best ways to learn about what it looks like to practice resurrection is to pay attention to how those very first followers let the resurrection impact their lives. And today we're going to look at one character, the Apostle John, and let him help us understand better what it means to be people who believe in the resurrection. Now, John is one of the best people that we could focus on early on in this series because of the significant role that he played in the movement of the early church. From that resurrection moment on, John was a very significant player. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, a gospel, three letters in the book of Revelation, but he also had a very special place in the view of Jesus. He was known as the beloved disciple of Jesus and one of the most significant moments in all of the New Testament, as Jesus is dying on the cross, he asks John to take care of his mother. And just that moment alone should give us a glimpse into the significance that John had in view 
of Jesus and in view of the early church. And the passage that I want us to focus on today comes towards the end of John's life in this set of three letters that he wrote, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And the passage that I want us to hear and reflect on is 1st John 3, verse 11 through 18. 1 John 3, verse 11 through 18. And the reason I want us to focus on this passage is because it gives us significant and important insight into what it means to be people who believe in the resurrection. And this is what he writes in these seven verses. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children... Let us not love in word or speech, but in truth and action. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, and to not just hear it, but to hopefully let it change us and transform us into people who look more like you in how we live our lives. God, help us to be resurrection people and help these words of John shape us more into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Imagine with me today, if you were at the end of your life, imagine if you knew that you didn't have much longer to live Imagine maybe being in a hospital bed that you didn't expect to be in, or maybe at home in bed, not expecting to pass so soon. Imagine that you had journeyed through this life and all of a sudden found yourself at the end of your life. If you were to imagine yourself in this place and you were asked, to give a message to the church, to give a message to the men and women who are going to keep following Jesus after you had passed, what would you say to them? What would be your message? When we read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we are getting the answer to John's question. And if I were to sum up the core of John's teaching, especially in 1 John, it would be simply the message to love one another. In fact, some of our most famous teachings about 
love come from the writings of John. Not just in the Gospel of John, but also in these very sacred and special letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that are the words of a man who had journeyed a very long journey from being called as a fisherman to now being a shepherd over the churches that were slowly growing and bubbling up in the Mediterranean world. And he's giving them some final instructions about the kinds of people they're called to be. And for John, the kinds of people that they are called to be are people of love. But what's significant about our passage today, and the reason why I wanted us to pay attention to it, is because John doesn't just tell the church and tell us what we're supposed to do. He also talks about why we are supposed to do it. Why are we to love people? Why are we to love one another? And he gets at the core of the issue right in the middle of the passage that I just read, where in verses 14 and 15, he speaks these words. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. This is from the Contemporary English Bible. We know that we have transferred from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. The person who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life residing in them. The reason why I think these verses are so significant is because they help us understand the why of our love. And for John, the why of our love is the resurrection. He says it right there in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Now, we've talked about this in previous weeks, but when John talks about death and life, he understands these terms in a bigger way broader, more significant way than we often talk about them. You might say that life and death for John are less about a pulse and more about a person. That for John, life or eternal life is about relationship with Jesus. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That for John and for Jesus, eternal life is about connectedness to Jesus. That life isn't necessarily just about if I have a pulse or not, although that is one way to understand life and death. But for John, there is this bigger, broader way of thinking about life and death. Life and death as these forces that are at work in the world. And one of the things that makes the resurrection such a significant event for John is that in that moment, life conquered death. That life is stronger than death. And because life is stronger than death, those men and women who believe in the resurrection, who believe that life conquered death 
in the resurrection of Jesus now live from that place of conviction. That men and women who follow the way of Jesus are following the way of life. And the natural extension of that for John is that they're following the way of love. Life, this bigger, broader, more significant reality, causes men and women to love one another. So often when we think about the resurrection and we think about life conquering death and we think about Jesus being raised from the dead, we often can turn it into some kind of a weighty argument that we make. But for John, life and death, the way of love is less about the weight of an argument and more about a way of life. John is calling this early church, this small community of believers, to live out a way of love to prove the truth of the resurrection. We can spend all day arguing about if a person could be raised from the dead or not, and there's a time and a place for that. But John knows that the truth of Jesus being raised from the dead will be proven by Christians loving one another. So often we can think of John in these really abstract kinds of writings. That If you read through his gospel, his gospel is very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He tells stories in such a way, and he quotes passages and moments from Jesus' life that make him feel kind of like the odd gospel out. But what's really significant about John in this section of teaching is that he gets very practical. He gets very concrete in what he believes it means for early Christians to love one another. And it's a pretty basic example, but it's a significant one. And he simply says that if you see a brother or sister in need and you don't help them, then you don't love them. That John is trying to give us these lenses by which we see the world. And the lenses that he is trying to give us are lenses of love, lenses that seek opportunities to help, lenses that cause us to see the world and to live out the gospel in our everyday interactions with other men and women of faith and with other men and women, the people who are around us. Many years ago, I was able to sit under some significant teaching that shaped a lot of the way I thought about Christianity and following Jesus. And one of the people who was at this particular event was a teacher by the name of Randy Harris. And Randy Harris would talk about how he had these different practices and disciplines that he would take on on a regular basis to try to move him in the direction that he believed Jesus was calling him to move. And one of the practices that he talked about was a practice of loving speech. And so for a series of days, he would live by this motto, speak only what love requires, that Randy made this commitment 
to make sure that the filter for everything he said was that of love. I think if we were to echo that teaching of Randy and have these words of John inform it, we could also say, act out only what love requires, because that for John is what is most significant. He says that love should not just remain this issue of words and our speech, but it should be about truth and action, that we should live the reality of love, that that the filter for our lives should be to constantly ask that question, what does love require of me in this moment? What does love require of me at work? What does love require of me at church? What does love require of me in how I treat my spouse and how I raise my kids and how I live inside the church and outside the church? How I manage an office, how I handle my finances, how I spend my free time. What does love require of me? And simply by asking that question over and over and over again, we are shaped into certain kinds of people. Many years ago, I heard a speaker basically say the following quote, The questions you ask reveal the priorities you have. The questions you ask reveal the priorities you have. And simply by asking that question, what does love require of me? We are becoming men and women who prioritize love in every single dimension of our life. And the why of our love is because of the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that life is stronger than death. Therefore, we believe that love is stronger than hate. We abide in eternal life, relationship with Jesus, and we produce the fruit of loving one another. In some of Jesus' last moments with his disciples, where he washes the feet of the one who would betray him, this teaching takes on such greater significance that loving one another is not just about seeking to love those we like, that loving one another is also about seeking to love those who are not like us, maybe to those who don't like us. Or as Jesus would teach, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One of the things about the way of love that we often get confused about is we think about love in these grand, great, significant actions. And those are the ones that get headlines. Someone pays off a house of a relative Someone buys a new car for a friend. Uh, Someone mends this 
gap in a relationship that had been ruptured years ago. And all of those are these big dramatic examples of love and are all significant actions of sacrifice. But I think love, more often than not, happens in those everyday, ordinary moments. It happens in those washing feet kinds of moments. John, who was sitting there at that Last Supper, I can't help but think, had this moment echoing in his head as he wrote these words. That the reason why John prioritized love one another so much is because he saw it embodied in Jesus. And I don't think he just saw it embodied in Jesus. I also think that as he spent time taking care of Mary after Jesus was gone, that she too instructed him in the things that she instructed Jesus in while she was raising him to be this person who walked a certain way in the world in these everyday ordinary actions to be a person of love. What does love require of me? Another way to think about this question is to simply ask the question, who in my circle can I help? Who around me needs help? In this teaching of John, he talks about seeing a brother or sister in need and refusing to help as this contrast to what he wants these early Christians to do. He wants them to help. He wants them to love. He doesn't want them to hate. He doesn't want them to allow death to be their operating principle. Simply by asking the question, who in my circle needs help? Who around me is in need of help is often the doorway into moments of expressing love. Financial help, relational help, emotional help, mental help. All different kinds of help are needed right in our very midst. Sometimes it's small, barely significant things, and sometimes it is great and grand things. So sometimes love does lead us to do these amazing, dramatic things, but also sometimes love leads us to do very small, seemingly significant things. But for John, they're not insignificant. They're not these small little actions, but they take on much more weight because they are expressions of our conviction in the resurrection. Love is a way of life that we live because we believe that life is stronger than death. And so this week, I want to encourage you to take some of those questions with you, questions that I think grow out of this teaching of John. What does love require of me in this situation? Who around me needs help?
What does love require of me in this situation? Who around me needs help? And the hope is that you and I, as we ask these questions more and more, would be oriented in a different path, would be oriented towards a different trajectory, and that as we ask that question more and more, it would align us with a better, truer, more faithful way to live. And so I encourage you to take those questions with you this week. I encourage you to reflect on this passage in 1 John 3, and I encourage you to remember that one of the best ways for us to prove our conviction in the resurrection is to be people who live out the way of love wherever we go. I hope that you all have a great rest of the week, and I will see you here next week.